The Triathlon Show 346. everybody and welcome back to another episode of that triathlon show the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com i'm your host michael and on today's episode i interview andy blow the founder of precision fuel and hydration in this episode we discuss caffeine and uh, how it can be used to enhance endurance performance but before that big thanks to our sponsors First, Precision Fuel and Hydration is uh, the sponsor of today's episode. And uh, because Andy is on the show, I'll leave out the preamble. But uh, just wanted to remind you that you can get 15% off your first order of Precision Fuel and Hydration products uh, by using the code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And that includes the new caffeine gel. And thank you to Zenate. The Zenate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home, allowing you to improve your technique, work on power and stamina, and save time and stay consistent, even when you're not able to go to the pool. It's a fantastic way to work on swim-specific core activation, because the instability element of the bench forces you to stabilize your core, and it helps you work on a high elbow catch, as the height of the swim bench is perfectly designed for forcing you to keep that elbow up. You can get tips and workouts on the Zenate social media channels like Instagram and also on their YouTube channel. And remember, the Zenate Swim Trainer is very affordable and even more so with the 20% discount code that you can get on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, here's my interview with Andy Blow. Welcome back to the Triathlon Show, Andy. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Michael. Really good. Good to be back. Yeah, it's uh, great to have you. And uh, I have, uh, well, we have an exciting topic for today with uh, caffeine, which is something that for listeners that have not uh, listened to episode 234, I highly recommend that because that's where I talked with uh, Dr. Ashmol Ali about the science of caffeine. But uh, today we're going to talk about that a little bit, but also about a lot more of the practical sides and uh, rigorously collected anecdotal data that you have from a lot of athletes. So, so I'm excited for it. Um, can you discuss uh, first maybe a summary of uh, just a brief summary for those that are are not familiar with the science of caffeine what what does it say about its use in endurance events and how it affects endurance performance yeah for sure i think a good place to start is even maybe a slight step back from that and just go you know what do you need when you're completing an endurance event and we've talked about this a lot before but fundamentally when the costs of doing an endurance event are that you sweat and you lose fluid and sodium so they need to be replaced you burn calories mostly in the form of carbohydrates so you need to burn carbs and we call those three things you know the fluid sodium and carbohydrate the three key levers that you need to pull when you're doing an endurance event they're the three inputs that you need but the f- a, f- a potential fourth one although you don't need it per se but one that is significant enough that we include it in all of the athlete case studies we look at because we're interested in how it influences performance is ingestion of caffeine because caffeine um, essentially is a, a stimulant it it acts on the central nervous system and um, and uh, on the brain in order to um yeah essentially influence perception of fatigue and ability to perform especially when you're tired so caffeine has the potential certainly to 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 enhance performance in endurance sport and as your previous podcast um, on the subject 
delved into in a great deal of detail there are a lot of studies that back up that assertion largely so this is this is basically one of the very few ergogenic supplements that are, that are marketed which does does have the potential to boost performance yeah and uh well actually you listened to the episode over the weekend i haven't listened to it or for a long time but i and of course you're familiar with the <laughs> with the research anyway from your work with uh developing caffeine products recently but i think it's two to three percent that uh, is touted as the performance benefit from using caffeine is that right yes it's about it's about two and a half or 2.9 i think percent was from the meta-analysis that looked at lots and lots of different papers kind of came up with the idea that the the average improvement was 2.9 percent which is definitely significant because again as as is pointed out in in detail in your previous podcast for for an elite athlete certainly anything approaching even half a percent improvement is potentially significant and so when you get into whole single digit percentages of improvement if it's if it's relatively cost effective and easy low risk strategy to implement it's worth having a look at which is why i think caffeine does fall into the bracket of something that's certainly worth most athletes having a bit of a dive into and seeing if it might work for them of course what the what the 2.9 percent improvement doesn't encapsulate is the range um, of of different improvements and i think some people could expect significantly more improvements performance improvement from that but also there is going to be a cohort of people who won't experience improvement and then some who may even experience a detrimental effect and so it's important to you know i'm sure we'll get into those kind of um, areas as we discuss it oh yeah for sure um what what is the recommended dose of caffeine uh, that you would need to take to to see these benefits and and also how uh, what, what can you tell us about when to take it and even in what form to take it perhaps yeah so caffeine is generally recommended in terms of whereas carbohydrate for example we'd recommend in absolute terms like 60 90 100 grams an hour or whatever it is almost almost independent of body size <coughs> excuse me caffeine is very much always recommended in terms of milligrams per kilogram of body weight so it's related to body size because the ability of the body to metabolize caffeine is quite closely linked to your to your total size so generally speaking it's recommended that you take somewhere between three and six milligrams per kilo of body weight to maximize the effects and we can again shortly we can probably dive into some of the case studies we've got to look at what what that looks like in terms of actual total amounts of caffeine and um and how how athletes dose that through a a race in order to keep levels up in terms of timing of caffeine that's an interesting one because um caffeine takes a little bit of a time to have full effect on the body everyone varies a bit and so to a certain extent it might vary on what you've eaten or what you've drunk and things like that but generally speaking when you take something caffeinated you'll probably start to get caffeine into the bloodstream after about 15 minutes but then it's unlikely to peak for up to 45 to 60 minutes so it can be an hour after you've had a cup of coffee say that you're getting the peak effects of the caffeine and then following on from that the half-life where it so the half-life is when caffeine in the body is metabolized to 50 percent of its peak value that can take 
you know, several hours, around three hours or so. Um, and that, again, that can vary from person to person, but you, so you get this kind of relatively, relatively quick uptake and it starts to have effects. It peaks after an hour and then it takes quite a few hours to degrade. So understanding the dynamics of that influences the timing of when you take caffeine because a, a very typical mistake I've seen with a lot of athletes and one I used to, I'll totally throw my hands up and say I used to make myself was having a caffeine gel or something really, really at the end of an event because you think that's when you're going to need a boost when you're really tired. And actually you can take it way too late and the benefits will hit you when you've crossed the finish line. So they're good for the, they're good for the after race party, but not really good for the race itself yeah yeah you're right that's uh, I, i see that quite quite commonly as well um and uh just to give a reference for the you mentioned the three to six milligrams per kilogram body weight uh, can you uh, give some examples of for example how many milligrams of caffeine would you find in in a regular espresso or or a big black coffee or something like that yeah it's coffee's always a difficult one to nail down and there is i'll have to dig it out for you there's a good reference online with a very comprehensive table of different caffeinated uh, different types of coffee and different measures and things and roughly how much caffeine but if you use a really rough rule of thumb and say between 75 and 100 milligrams of caffeine in a pretty a pretty standard coffee that's you i don't think you're going to be too far away if obviously if the coffee's a lot smaller and weaker it's going to be less than that and you might get if you've got a quad shot something or another you know that's it might be significantly more it could be a couple of hundred milligrams but it's kind of in that zone um uh, things like coca-cola are about 10 milligrams per 100 milliliters something like that so about 30 something milligrams for a can and kind of energy drinks like red bull are about three times that so more closer to um, 30 milligrams per 100 mil Mm, yeah so so we're when when you put in those terms let's say we have a 70 kilogram uh person and uh, and they're looking to get at least 210 that would be the three milligrams per kilogram then they would be looking at something like uh, two two and a half equivalents of a coffee or almost yeah. to to reach that minimum so yeah. so that's quite uh quite useful to get uh, get a, get a better idea of how how much caffeine we're talking about absolutely yeah yeah it's something in that zone and and a common one um again we can talk specifics in more depth but i think a common one that's quite useful for athletes if they're habitual caffeine users is a strong a strong coffee an hour or so before an event followed up with a caffeine gel in the last 10 or 15 minutes before the start that gives you a kind of um a dosing regimen that that works quite nicely because the first the coffee is probably peaking around the start time and then you're putting another quick dose in which is going to then kick in after 45 minutes to an hour and help keep the levels topped up and for me if 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 that's a route that's that can be quite a successful routine for a lot of athletes absolutely yeah yeah um one thing that when when i've looked at the science of caffeine that always stands out in the application of the science into practice is that we have science has been looking at the performance or events such as a 5k running race or time trial or a 20k bike time trial or 40k bike time trial generally speaking events that last up to one hour or so and and not much longer i don't think i haven't seen anything with uh, looking at even marathon running it's it's generally much shorter than that which is obviously because mostly these are laboratory studies so 
What do you think about how that applies to much longer events, even something like an Olympic distance triathlon, which for a lot of people, well, most people is two hours or more, uh, and it can can even be three hours or more uh, for for many. And uh, then you go up to half and full distance triathlons uh, or ultra running or swim runs. Uh, then we were talking about orders of magnitude, well, not orders of magnitude, but multiples of those uh, distances and events that have been studied in science how does it still apply in long distance events yeah you you're dead right that there's not there's not a depth of research at all in in that longer stuff there are some crossovers with um when you get into if we jump first of all to the real ultra ultra stuff the stuff that lasts you know like all day or multiple days even or overnight and that sort of thing there are studies that have been done on military service personnel and things like that on the the fatigue resisting effects of caffeine that that may have relevance in how they they dose those but there's been nothing really looking at ultra sports performance i don't think but when when you talk about longer stuff so if you start with say olympic distance triathlon or marathon which depending on fitness levels are kind of in the same zone time wise for a lot of people you might be out there for say you know between two and three and a bit hours if you're a faster athlete in those in those events theoretically if you have a decent caffeine dose an hour or so before the start and then and then potentially if you can stomach it and if it works for you back that up with a, a, a top up of caffeine 100 milligrams or so in the 10 or 15 minutes immediately prior to the start then theoretically you would have enough caffeine in your system or certainly towards the lower end to to get a decent effect throughout that race and that because the half-life it would it'd be tapering off towards the end a little bit but it wouldn't be it shouldn't be such a significant taper that would it would be overly influential you'd imagine and, and what we see in practice a lot of the time is that's how athletes will use caffeine in those events we do particularly prevalent in marathon running in the elite athletes we've seen a lot of them will take a caffeine gel or a caffeinated drink in the in the second in this in the second third of the race if they're doing it about right because then theoretically you could be getting a boost of caffeine in the last two or three miles when we know that f- the racing really sort of gets spicy for the elites and when moves can be made and when fatigue's at its highest so there might be an argument for an extra dose mid-race but as, as we said a few minutes ago a common mistake for the to those that don't understand it quite as well might be to save a, a caffeine gel for mile 22 or 23 in the marathon when in actual fact you're so close to the finish it it could psychologically give you a boost if you think it's going to help but but in reality the physiology of that dictates it probably isn't going to help later on um so so in summary i think for those sh- longer but not really long races like a good dose before and immediately before an hour before a little bit immediately before and potentially a top up mid race so in olympic distance triathlon that might look like a caffeinated gel you know on the bike then that's that's a pretty common and seems to be a pretty viable strategy um so you're keeping the levels up when you jump up to say middle distance it's kind of an extension of that you know you're out there for what you know, very fast athletes, less than just less than four hours and slower athletes might be five, six or seven hours on there. Then I, I still tend to see, think and see a lot of athletes will follow a similar pre-caffeination routine, but then it might be two or three top up doses throughout the, the course of the race. Uh, again, making sure you're not leaving the last one till 
till too late. And then for Ironman, you, you, Ironman and ultra stuff that goes on a lot longer, you start to, you start to get into a situation where it's like, is the best strategy to pre-caffeinate strongly and then top up throughout? And that might be the case for some athletes, certainly at the faster end. However, there could be a, a potential advantage for some people in moderating caffeine before the start on the basis that you will feel the effects to a greater extent if you start to dose during the race to to sort of mitigate the fatigue the inevitable fatigue that's going to happen later on and i think certainly in really long ultra stuff that's where the timing of it gets interesting because i've heard people theorize and i've seen examples where people have have abstained from caffeine before the race and then um it used it very strategically to say get through the night time or through very late stages when natural body cycles and circadian rhythms are telling you to sleep and you can really use the the sleep blocking and fatigue masking power of caffeine by taking it later on in the event so that you you get an enhanced effect at that point when it's going to have more bang for the buck if that makes sense yeah yeah i know that makes sense and uh i i guess that yeah there are you mentioned a couple of factors there that i want to highlight especially for those really long races like if you look at Ironman, for example, uh, as you said, if you're at the faster end, then you still might want to uh, take caffeine before the race, which would make sense because the swim can still be a very critical part. And getting into the first group versus the second group could have a big impact on your race. And uh, and yeah, then if you can get an extra couple of percentage points uh, of, of a boost in performance through the effects of caffeine then it makes sense to get that early on because the swim will generally be one of the more intense parts of the day or one of the most in- intense parts uh, but yeah for somebody for whom that's not important they want to be very steady and measured throughout the day then uh, that might be uh, the case where may- maybe even you might be afraid of how much caffeine you can tolerate so then you would rather uh, distribute it a bit later through the race when when you really might start to need to fight that fatigue as it comes up i absolutely agree and i think it it's an a thing you sort of started to touch on there with the start is for elite athletes and those that are jockeying for position in the swim and who are you know going to try and take advantage of it early on then yeah taking it away if you use it regularly especially is is going to potentially put you at a disadvantage if you abstain from it before the start on the flip side, if you get people who are very, very nervous and very anxious before races, especially we know that swimming in triathlon is very anxiety inducing for some people. If it's, if it's a mass start, if it's, if swimming is not your favorite discipline and the addition of caffeine on top of pre-race nerves and things like that means it can have an augmented effect. And I certainly remember an occasion when I was racing a duathlon in the evening, which was an unusual time of day to be racing on like most people more used to racing in the morning and i took um i can't even remember how much but i was taking some um, caffeine before in the form of energy an energy drink like a red bull and maybe i had a couple of those or it was it was quite an aggressive amount that i took and coupled with the nerves because it was an important race for me and everything else i was standing on the start line and i i, I seem to think my heart rate was already up at like 160 beats a minute or something. And I was feeling like notably anxious and overstimulated basically. And I settled in as the race got going and it wasn't too bad in the end, but it was quite an, it was an unsettling experience and it wasn't pleasant. 
and I do put that down to caffeine being laid on top of nerves so I would say that's a consideration for some people as well is you know to to moderate the usage before a race if you are particularly of you know of a nervous disposition around racing yeah yeah definitely uh and that's a good lead in to my next question which would be are there any people for whom uh, it makes sense not to take caffeine and you mentioned there one one segment and or one one aspect to consider are there any other things uh, in what in which scenarios might you not want to take caffeine yeah well the, the theories around that are exist uh, you know whether you should or shouldn't take caffeine around the idea that there are people who have different levels of sensitivities and people that metabolize caffeine at different speeds and if you are highly sensitive to caffeine as in it has a very pronounced anxiety inducing effect then that can be a that can be a very strong sign that that it may not be appropriate you may be one of the the people for whom this is not performance enhancing it it might even be detrimental and i think from based on this the the scientific studies it usually throws out a number somewhere in the region of 30 percent of people 20 to 30 percent of people not being um either not using caffeine or not finding it advantageous so i think whilst the the so the majority of people who are tested and studied seem to find it imp- an improvement there's 20 or 30 percent that don't and when i looked at our own data set which comprised 126 athletes at the moment who for whom we've got a very detailed race case study we found our number was a little bit higher in that in terms of using it versus not using it, nearly 90%, 89% of athletes that we'd studied had used caffeine during an event. And that was across a whole range of endurance events, heavily weighted towards triathlon, but there's running in there, there's cycling in there. And 90% of them had used caffeine to, to a, a lesser or greater extent. Um, okay. Some of those dosages were quite small and some were quite large, but but there is definitely a cohort of people for whom caffeine is inappropriate. And in one of our recent blogs on the subject, we put together a kind of Venn diagram to help people decide whether caffeine may or may not be for them. And essentially what, what that Venn diagram is three overlapping circles. And you look at if it, the, the three kind of questions it poses are, have you previously used caffeine in a race? Yes or no. And if you answer yes, you're in the, the middle of the, the circle. If you answer no, you're in the outside. Um, does uh, does it make you ner- um, does it have you ever had any of the anxiety um, sort of signs and symptoms with um, with with using caffeine um, during during um during day-to-day life because if you have and it's caused you um if it's caused you problems then you should consider you should lean more towards not using it and then the third one is around um whether you're whether you are just a daily habitual caffeine user so are you someone who has coffee and tea and things on a regular basis i mean 90 percent of the world do but if you're in the in the percentage that doesn't then then based on those three factors and the, the the way they overlap if you if you use caffeine every day if you've used it before in races and you've never had adverse effects then the chances are that's a slam dunk that it's likely to be beneficial for you if you've got two out of three in the positive then 
it's it seems more than likely it's worth trying and playing around with but if you're down to one or none of those then you may be one of those people for whom caffeine is not suitable so it's 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 not a very exact science but as you know from probably you know from your interactions with people there are just people you meet who say our oh, caffeine I've, it's not for me my wife can't drink coffee you know she, it really she gets all of the adverse effects the anxiety even heart palpitations if she overdoes it and so over the years has just learned to back off and have decaf instead Mm. yeah Uh, if you are somebody who let's say you are a regular caffeine uh, consumer and and you don't have any negative effects but you haven't used in racing before would you advise uh, trying it out in either a low-key race like maybe a park run or something or in training before using it in one of in a major uh event that you're like your a race for the season or something like that yeah 100 percent. like any any part of your strategy equipment you know nutrition supplementation i think it's essential that you try to simulate the way you would plan to use it in a race so in terms of timing dosage and products and and try that in some of your key harder training sessions and see how that how that plays out it's also a brilliant idea to use it in the kind of more low key races because although they don't simulate the nerves of your massive a race i think being able to you can't often simple you can't simulate the nerves of a race in training and so using a a b race as it were or even a c race whatever you want to call it a low key race to do so can be helpful because it can also bring in that element of natural race anxiety and seeing how you respond to that yeah and and are there any potential other than for example well having no benefit and maybe uh, yeah, anxiety inducing effects and so on are there any potential downsides for caffeine in terms of uh, gastrointestinal distress or things like that that people should be aware of yeah that's that's quite individual but there are reports there are enough reports of gi distress from people who use large especially who use larger amounts of caffeine that it, it can be a thing for some people so i would say for sure it it's a case of like with most things starting with a low starting at the lower end of the dosage and working up until you reach a point where you're either at the higher end of the dosages or you feel like there's a, a, a tapering in benefit and the, the more you take on the more at risk you might become of getting some gi distress so it doesn't happen yeah. to i would say in our experience talking with athletes it seemed that that would also appear to be a minority of caffeine users but it's there's enough people there to make it significant yeah uh and and it would generally be quite difficult as well to um to tease apart whether what is the factor of uh, gi issues and it could be a combination of of all of the things that you're taking caffeine and carbohydrate and uh hydration and so on absolutely and and the fact that in races you're smashing your body really hard often in a hot environment blood flow to the gut is reduced and we know that gi issues are very very prevalent so you you're 100 right you can't always you can't always put it down to one singular factor. And in fact, it's, it, it often isn't one singular factor. So you have to do a bit of like trend analysis on yourself to see whether you've ever encountered similar circumstances without caffeine as you have with caffeine. Yeah. Uh, let's discuss some recommendations for uh, usage during the event, uh, in addition to what you already mentioned from the uh, well, the scientific findings around dosing and so on. Um, so if we talk about before the event and during the event what would be your general recommendations and now we're talking to people that 
are uh, potential users of ca- of caffeine. Uh, what, yeah, what would the general recommendations be for for dosing and maybe any moderating factors to consider? So, so up up to and including sort of like we said, faster Ironman athletes who are out there for you know not out there for the fourteen fifteen hours or whatever. I would say quite often pre caffeination is a good idea and having some with your breakfast um, and maybe even so if you're having your breakfast many hours from the start you know some athletes will need to eat two or three hours before the start in which case a little bit of caffeine with that that's what you normally do for your breakfast is probably no bad thing as part of your general if it's part of your general daily waking up process then i would be aiming for a a decent dose of caffeine if we use an average sized athlete you know like a uh, 70 kilo man um then something in the in the sort of 100 to 200 milligram dose about an hour before so i eat another a strong coffee or a product with caffeine in it followed by a top-up dose in the last 10 or 15 minutes if you can because that gives you that layered effect of caffeine peaking towards the start of the race and then peaking uh, or at least being sustained another hour or so later until you get into your during race caffeine intake uh, and, and so would the top-up dose also be around that 100 milligrams I think that comes down to things like convenience and preference and availability. So if you're going to carry lots of caffeine gels or they're a commonly used product because obviously you're, you're killing two birds with one stone with, with a single product there. You're, you're going to take carbohydrate energy on regularly. So you can choose to take caffeine on with that. Now, some gels will come with low dosages of caffeine. So that might be 25, 30, 45, even 50 milligrams of caffeine, in which case you can probably take those, a smaller drip of those more frequently throughout the bike stage of a, of a middle or Olympic distance, for example. Or if you've got one, the, the caffeine gel, as you know, that we've we, that we make has a hundred milligrams in, with the idea that you would take a larger dose less frequently. And I think, honestly, some of that comes down to personal preference. Some of it just comes down to logistics. Uh, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. Um, I just think that the you want to be mindful of the total amount that you're taking in. We've seen examples where athletes were either completely unaware that they until afterwards that they were taking a, a product that had caffeine in it because I think a lot of caffeinated sports nutrition products are kind of not very well labeled. It's not always very clear that they've got caffeine in at all or how much caffeine they've got. And it, you you can get yourself into a situation where you overconsume caffeine if if whatever your preferred product is is caffeinated and you don't realise it or you don't realise the dosage that it's adding up to. So, like with your your fluids, your sodiums, your carbohydrates, it's useful to understand and know what your total caffeine numbers are for the race, and then just work through a list of of products that you can either take or have access to on the course to make sure you you're keeping topped up. Yeah, one one example, one very specific example of where that this actually didn't cause a major problem or derail a performance, but we did an analysis on Leon Leon Chevalier's win in Ironman Mallorca in 2021, where he had the misfortune of his bottle 
bouncing out of his bike early on, which had most of his gels in it for the bike ride. So he was snatching gels from the course and for whatever reason, ended up with a very high proportion of caffeine gels that he was trying to take for energy in order to make up for the carbohydrates that he'd lost in that bottle. He'd lost nearly all of his bike nutrition in one bottle. And he did a great job in terms of hitting his carbohydrate numbers by grabbing gels on the bike course. But because they were quite highly caffeinated, he ended up consuming something in the region of a thousand milligrams of caffeine throughout that race. And based on an approximation of his body weight, that could have been as much as 12 or 14 milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight during that time and that's really on the high end of what we've seen in a race and leon won that race and didn't report any adverse gi effects really and didn't have any major problems after the event but it was certainly unintended because normally he would be taking probably about half of that amount of caffeine during a race which is which is a lot more of a a dose which would be sort of considered safe and normal yeah yeah no for sure and i think it's important to keep in mind for training as well as racing uh with uh the amount just as you mentioned being aware of how much caffeine your different sports nutrition products contain because otherwise you might impact your sleep uh, negatively for for that day if you happen to get in a lot of like too too big a dose of caffeinated products so uh, of course if you have your big a race then maybe it doesn't matter too much uh, if uh, if you over consume a bit of caffeine as long as you don't have any any issues you might you get the performance effects and yeah what's one bad night of sleep after that but yeah in training you you do want to be especially mindful i think with and that this is based on personal experience that i've done uh, a long ride with exclusively caffeinated uh gels i wasn't unaware of that but i just didn't yeah. have any options at home at that time so i didn't sleep very well very much that night and <laughs> it was, yeah. it was a lot Absolutely. And we know because we know that especially if you train later in the day as well, that can disrupt your sleep on its own. So if you add caffeine into the mix, that that can be that can be pretty detrimental. And then you get into that vicious cycle of not recovering very well from those training sessions because you're not sleeping adequately and it, it can spiral quite badly. One one other thing that that sort of I think it's it's worth laboring the point, even though it's a simple point, is Above all else, the most important thing, once you've established if if caffeine might be for you and you or you've established that it is for you, it's having a really good understanding of of the dosage that works for you that matters. I think that all of these studies and things that get talked about and numbers that get thrown around, they provide a fantastic indication of what a decent strategy might look like, that three to six milligram window, possibly more in a really long race because because of the degradation of the early doses, they've effectively disappeared from the body. So although we quote Leon having 14 milligrams, say, per kilo in the in the Ironman, the, the dosages that he took before the race have been fully metabolized and are out of his system by the end. So he's 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 just operating at a, at a higher level, but not right up at that level. I think just if if nothing else, it's it's just really worth zoning in on what how many hundreds of milligrams are likely to work for you and then playing around in that zone to figure it out because i think that's probably the achilles heel of caffeine use for most athletes is that there is just no great appreciation in most people for for what constitutes an effective dose for them 
And yeah. I think that that's when you really boil it down, that's what matters. It's like, how much caffeine do I need personally for me? What, what we, we don't want to go above those higher recommended or much above those higher recommended limits. Cause there appears to be a diminishing returns on good, on any um, positive benefits and a higher risk of GI issues and other, other you know, anxiety palpitations or whatever. But at the same time, the bandwidth if you look in our case studies the bandwidth for dosages that athletes appear to be using and having good performances and obviously we're not going to rate relate their good performances solely to the amount of caffeine that they took in it's a very small component but they've performed well with a variety of levels of caffeine in their system then it sort of tells you that that like a lot of things in in sport and training and racing you you need to do the n of one test on yourself and and figure out what dosage works for you yeah and, and that's something that we've discussed in previous episodes with you uh, around the importance of logging these things and and being uh being quite specific uh with with uh, your experimentation on yourself whether it uh whether it comes down to whether it's about nutrition or hydration sodium caffeine and just getting a really good idea for uh for that in training already and then racing will be uh, a natural consequence of what you did in in training it will already be optimized and you you don't run the risk of any any surprises happening so i think that's a, an excellent point and uh yeah maybe we transition into those case studies that you mentioned uh, because i think that could be quite uh interesting and fun to hear about yeah. how much uh, and maybe we, we stick to the triathlon events at least well let's start with them anyway uh for for this one how, how much do you see at especially when we look at the elite athletes then taking in in different distances uh, of triathlon that you have uh, gathered data from in your case studies yeah that's 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 a good one and all of these case studies obviously each the individual ones are published on our website so if anyone wants to have a a dive into any individual case study that we mention and have a look at the data it's it's all there on the site but when we look at the middle distance triathlons that we've got with elite athletes um, we've got um, 15 case studies now very detailed ones where athletes have consumed caffeine during a middle distance triathlon and the average um, so the average finishing time was four hours eight minutes so this is a really elite group and it includes and men and women it includes men and women correct yeah and um, it's the average is about 3.5 to 3.6 milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight. So towards the lower end, and that includes a pre the, the, a, a caffeine dose immediately pre for a lot of those athletes. So that's kind of at the, at the lower end. At the at the for, for full distance Ironman, we've got nine um, case studies now with an average finishing time again pretty quick of nine hours forty five minutes. So still sort of elite. It's a pro and elite and top age groupers. And the average amount of caffeine in those was 6.5 milligrams per kilo, which kind of fits that general picture and trend that obviously the longer you're going, the more caffeine you can take and tolerate. And what's interesting for me there is that 6.5 milligrams is already above that three to six recommended ratio. But the big caveat there is that if you're going for nine or 10 hours, caffeine that you took before the race will have been, if depending on your speed of metabolism in the in majority of cases will have been metabolized towards the end, you know, before the end of the race. So the, the, the way that you're topping it up throughout 
doesn't mean that you've actually taken it's not like taking a dose of 6.5 milligrams of caffeine per kilo body weight all in one go it's yes probably you know which is a very important thing to point out because you start looking at those numbers and thinking well that's you know could smash that amount of caffeine and go well that's that's drip fed over a period of time as opposed to being yeah yeah gone in one in one hit that there would be i remember the first marathon where i or the, the first race that i ever consumed caffeine before was uh, was a marathon that i did and 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 being young and dumb i wanted to be on the high end of things so i said well let's do six milligrams per kilogram body weight yeah. and then i consumed that amount of some kind of mm-hmm. uh, caffeine chews or tablets and uh, yeah. and then i didn't feel anything right away so i was like i'm just let's just get a couple more in there so <laughs> i don't know what i ended up taking in the end but that was all in one go one hour before the marathon and i got got off the metro and and i started i was really jittery and lightheaded and and <laughs> wasn't yeah. sure i was gonna find my way to the to the start i did in the end and and, and in the end it settled uh because i think i metabolized caffeine quite quickly so yeah. so i did i did have a good race but i was definitely very very excessive and not yeah, something yeah. i would recommend doing On the high end i think a good analogy with the with caffeine and the the dosing like that is one that anyone who's you know been out drinking can relate to in that what what you would have effectively done there is like going out and it's like going to a stag party and you drink immediately drink five pints and 10 shots of, of Sambuca or something like that and get very, very drunk very, very quickly. And then, you know, it can, it's, it's a high risk strategy. You get very drunk, but you get, it all happens very quickly and gets out of control. Whereas if you go out and have a few drinks spread out over the period of a few hours and your blood alcohol level obviously rises and you feel a little bit merry and, and tipsy, but you just have a drink every so often, keep the levels up. You probably have a more pleasant overall evening. And, um, so reading those numbers it's not about it's not about hitting it hard quickly it's about it's about dripping the dosage in over the time period that that's required and so yeah. that's yeah it, 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 i think what you did there is a, is like a, and we've all done it in our, in our own ways is a classic athlete thing is get a small small grasp of the science read some numbers in that case it's like the headline thing is three to six milligrams then what we all do is we go well if three milligrams if it's three to six six is probably good and actually what i'll probably do is push it to eight because you know more exactly. is likely to be better and then you then you don't really take the time to consider the the rate at which you infuse it in you assume this should all be done in one hit and then before you know it you've you've made a potentially you know catastrophic decision so i think just taking time to understand all of that is is really important um because it's sometimes it's good to learn the hard way but you don't always have to if you're prepared to do a bit yeah. of research beforehand yeah and uh just coming back to the your numbers from the case studies with uh more than six milligrams per kilo for the full distance races obviously that's that's an average and as you highlighted with the leon chevalier uh case study there there will be people that were on the higher end and also people that were uh lower than that uh so so yeah yeah, again yeah i would say individual yes it is individual we've consistent i think we've seen fenella language at armand st george taking uh i've not got that number in front of me but it's either eight or ten milligrams per kilo throughout the race laura sadell in uh challenge roth last year 2021 i think 11 milligrams per kilo throughout the race which is a which is pretty high interestingly i think that was one where laura um reportedly 
reported back to us like trouble sleeping um, after the race in particular. Although having said that, you know, you can attribute, maybe you can attribute that to, ca- to the caffeine. It was certainly a very high dose, but we know a lot of athletes struggle to sleep the night after an Ironman because of the general disruption to your body. So I don't know if you can put it all down to that, but, you know, certainly there's, there's a range and other athletes we've seen at the lower end, like, um, think I've got one here where we saw Ruth Astle, um, once Ironman South Africa and only had a coffee before and about less than one milligram per kilo during the race itself. Hmm. So, there was a use of caffeine there, either planned or inadvertent, but it wasn't significant and she won the race. So, and there are, there are countless examples of good performances where people have used no caffeine at all. So I think it's, it's important to, to continue to point out if we haven't labored it enough, that, that thing that it's, it's individual. And I would say also, unlike getting your, um, your 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 hydration and carbohydrate intake about right that applies to everyone everybody needs to get their energy and hydration intake about right and especially in a long hot race otherwise you can't expect to perform if i i truly believe that we wouldn't we would never want to do this in this situation probably wouldn't happen but even for a habitual caffeine user like leon for example if we took his caffeine away in a race it may not, it is unlikely to benefit his performance. It may be very, very slightly detrimental to it, but I wouldn't expect his performance to crater because he hasn't got caffeine. What we're talking about is something that can give you potentially a small edge beyond where you would be at without it, but it is a relatively small edge. It's not necessarily a game changer. Where I do believe caffeine can be a game changer is in very very long ultra distance stuff where where you have to go through the night so if you're doing 24 hours or more i think the prevalence of people giving up in and dnfing in really long races due to fatigue and just just general unwillingness to go on in the wee small hours of the morning so they're sort of three four in the morning when you're body clock is at its lowest ebb and fatigue is highest the prevalence of dnf at that time is very high and I'm sure that there is a, a strategic use of caffeine that if you used it through the night in order to help get over that bump. I've done a few races that have been that long where if you can get through to the next morning where the sun comes up, it's amazing how much better that makes you feel. And you just, but you need to get through that dark patch. And in that case, if a strategic use of caffeine can be, can make the difference between you giving up or not, it obviously has a, a monumental impact on overall performance because you either finish or you don't. Yeah, no, that, that's a good example. And you mentioned before we started recording uh, an example from the Ultra World. Uh, what was it, fifty-two hour event with a yeah. very high intake of caffeine? Can you can you repeat that uh, for the listeners? Yeah, so Damien Hall, who's an ultra distance runner in the UK, he's placed in the top ten in UTMB and things like that. So he's a very good level. He was doing the spine race. Um, and which is it is a multi-day non-stop ultra in the uk in the winter he actually was leading this race and i think would have almost certainly gone on to win it he had to pull out after 52 hours which was very deep into the race um 
because he's just had an unfortunate slip and strained his groin, just a, just a freak sort of accident. But he was leading the race, going really well, feeling really good. And after 52 ha- hours, he'd taken 13, nearly 1,400 milligrams of caffeine, which was 22 grams per kilo of body weight. But clearly within 52 hours, any of the caffeine that he'd taken at the start would have been f- fully metabolized out of his system. And so that that was still a relatively high dose. But if you take that as 52 hours as, you know, five blocks of 10 Ironman races, that's only just over five milligrams per kilo for each of those time periods. So it starts to make some sort of mathematical sense that that wasn't an, un, an unreasonable dosage potentially for him during that time. And all the evidence pointed towards the fact that that strategy was working really well for him. He appeared to be dripping caffeine in fairly frequently throughout and it seemed to be doing the job for him. Certainly wasn't having any detrimental effect. Yeah. And and by that same logic, would you uh, assume that if if that 67 milligrams per kilogram uh, body weight f- over the Ironman distance for your elite uh, athletes in the case studies is is a good amount uh, more or less optimal amount on average again would the ideal quote-unquote ideal amount for an age grouper that is out there for 11 12 13 14 15 16 hours would, would that be more uh, than than for the elite athletes just because they're out there for a longer time it it's plausible that it could be. I think, especially if if you're someone who's a pretty heavy caffeine user on a, in day to day life. But I would say it's probably as as much that it's related to your everyday usage and therefore your tolerance level as it is to your level of performance. Your level of performance definitely impacts the duration. And you're right in that the longer the duration goes on, you've, you're out there for longer with more opportunity and more time to take caffeine and more time for it to be useful. So you, you, you might expect it to creep up, but I think a factor that relates that heavily is this, uh, uh, the, the sort of idea of tolerance and daily habitual usage, because if you are a heavy daily user, you're going to need more to get an effect. And if you're a lighter daily user, then you, you're going to need less to have the same level of stimulating effect. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And uh, are there anything to consider regarding the source of caffeine? So uh, there are gels, as we mentioned, there's Coke and Red Bull is commonly served in uh, these races. Uh, Of course, the morning espresso and there are chews and tablets. Uh, Anything to consider there or are they all good, good sources of caffeine without without too much significance where where you go to? Yeah, I think it's, I think like with carbs, like with fluid, like with salt, it's about finding dosage forms that work for you. The, the most significant advantage that sports nutrition products offer over having a coffee or whatever is, well, there's twofold. One is the dosage is very clear. If you take a gel with hundred milligrams of caffeine in it, you know, you're getting very close to hundred milligrams of caffeine. If you have an espresso, there are so many variables that go into the, the amount of beans, how fine they were packed, you know, the, how much pressure was used that you, you vary the variability on what, what level of caffeine you're getting there is, is quite high so um you you kind of it's a little bit more vague but if it's a more pleasant way to start the day you know having a certainly i'll always reach for a coffee over a caffeine gel first thing in the morning then you know it's 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 certainly you know very viable the other advantage that 
formulated sports nutrition has is that clearly during the race you can carry it with you and know what dosage you're getting on a regular schedule whereas you're not going to be stopping for a coffee or i would assume or taking any kind of organic product with you which contains caffeine that's going to no doubt be difficult to store and carry and eat on the move and and that sort of thing so i think it's i think basically it comes down to practical considerations but other than that it's it's milligrams in in your system that matters yeah yeah and i think there just as with carbohydrates as well uh if you're planning on using for example coke i like using coke in some races um at least as a as a potential option and uh, i don't always have it but in some races i do uh, or red bull uh which i don't use but i know some people like it uh then you kind of have to have a a, a good a reasonable idea of how much you actually end up drinking when you get a cup of coke or red bull so and then actually know okay so if i have 50 milliliters or 100 milliliters uh, you know what that number is and then you also need to know okay what is the number of carbohydrates in 50 milliliters or 100 milliliters or and uh, the amount of caffeine so so that you can actually tally up everything that you're having and know if you're on plan or if you're or if you're getting off plan just because you're you, you obviously won't have a label uh, on on that cup of coke absolutely yeah i mean it's it's always really tricky to estimate on the move but at least if you have the, the, the raw numbers in your head you know that um, 100 milliliters of coca-cola is about 10 grams of sugar carbohydrate and it's about 30 milligrams of caffeine then at least you can keep a bit of a running tally and sort of figure out that's what you're getting in if you if you take about 100 milliliters a good solid mouthful you know that's yep. that's kind of a good a good estimate to have in your mind yeah is there anything else that we should know uh whether it's on the practical side or the theoretical side about caffeine that we haven't talked about uh i think the only not there's not we've we've touched on on a lot of things there i think the the main summary points for me are around first and foremost the process for for using caffeine really is is figuring out that whilst it works for the majority of people the first question to be asking is should i be using it myself or not and that's a very fundamental question to to answer a lot of adults have answered that question for themselves in day-to-day life already because we're so exposed to caffeinated products that you kind of soon figure out whether they they work for you or not And, and i think we all figure out to a degree our level of sensitivity and tolerance as well because I work in an office full of people here at Precision Fuel and Hydration who all have different caffeine habits. You Very rarely will you see me at the coffee machine in our office after 11am and it's rare that I'll have more than two, possibly three coffees in a day. But I have colleagues who can smash five or six very strong coffees right throughout the day with no bother at all. So we, we kind of all figure out what those levels are, whether we can use it, what our levels are, and then taking it a step further as an athlete it's that that thing that i keep repeating is like understanding what your individual numbers are looking at the science looking at uh, we've got some good blogs on our website to help you get in the zone um for for where it might be but then but then taking the reins and taking responsibility from there and going well the science says that maybe it's between three and six milligrams per kilo but i seem to be good with seven or i seem to be you know if i take two that's enough for me it's, it's really, it's just then honestly figuring out by trial and error what works for you. And I think if you if you take those two major steps, then you're very close to then optimizing your own use of caffeine. Yeah, no, that's, that's a perfect summary. 
And uh, I do want to talk about one more topic uh, because it's been a while since we talked about it. And uh, I'm sure that you have learned a lot uh, since since then. And it is about sodium. And uh, in particular, uh, with with you now having uh, the amount of case studies of athletes that you, that you do have, do you have any numbers or any guidelines of how much sodium to replace? Let's assume here that the athlete knows their sweat rate in the race conditions they will be racing and they know or they have a good estimate of their of their sweat sodium concentration so they can roughly calculate how much sodium they will be losing uh, how much sodium should they replace then is it 20 percent or 50 percent or uh, what do, do you have any sort of uh, advice on on that front because that's something that's come up for me and i've been thinking about and yeah realized that i don't have a really great answer to a good rule of thumb yeah it's still michael a really really difficult question to answer even with the data we've got in case studies because the reason it's so difficult i think is there are some athletes at the lower end so if you have if we take if we take the extremes and work in because that's probably a good way of doing this if you start with an a theoretical athlete with a relatively low sweat rate and a very light level of sodium loss doing a shorter version of the long endurance event. So let's say a half Ironman as an example. We do see examples of athletes who can skirt through um, a a short a, a short to medium endurance event like that with relatively little sodium intake at all and perform really quite well. They need to drink fluid, especially if it's warm. But if their sodium losses are light, there's a point at which where even replacing a small percentage of that is is likely to be close to unnecessary. Now, those people are a small minority, but they definitely exist. We definitely see them. And they tend to be, and again, I'm, I, this might be a generalization, but they seem to be people who also often perform pretty well in in hotter conditions and things like that. They're relatively economical with their sweat and sodium loss in the replacement of their sodium uh, their sodium is 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 low requirement for and fluid they can do by feel by drinking to thirst and that sort of thing if you then jump to the other end of the scale we've got a couple of great examples of athletes now who have extremely like really really heavy sweat and sodium losses and often the battle then isn't defining a percentage of what they can replace it's figuring out how much they can tolerate because they're not they're never going to replace 100% of their losses if they're sweating 2.5 liters an hour losing you know close to 2000 milligrams of sodium per liter that's four and a bit thousand milligrams of sodium per hour and two and a half liters of fluid your gut can't get anywhere near tolerating that so we've seen some athletes now drinking well in excess of a liter an hour with nearly 2000 milligrams of sodium per litre and that's enabled them as very heavy very salty sweaters to function and finish reasonably competitively in long longer hotter races but they're probably only replacing you know i don't know maybe 50 percent of their losses but that seems to be just about enough to keep them in in line and so so the um at the extreme ends it's kind of not a worry figuring it out for some people because they just go with their instincts do what they need to do if you're taking sports nutrition products of any sort you generally get a little bit of sodium some electrolytes in 
along with fluids and then that appears to be enough and at the other end we've got people who have to make a concerted effort to essentially drink and consume as much sodium as they possibly can with with absorption and and stomach and gut being the limiting factor in order to keep going if if you then slide between those two we've always said you know something between like 50 and 70 80 percent of losses seems to be sensible and and i would maintain that that's probably still as about as good an estimate as we've got at the moment because what what you've got to remember we're seeking to do when you replace sodium and fluid and to a degree carbohydrate during an endurance event the the aim of the game is maintenance of homeostasis it's it's maintaining things like blood volume um, in order that you can still keep functioning and we know that 100% aiming for 100% of losses is probably unnecessary and unhelpful because it puts a lot of strain on your on your stomach and your GI tract and isn't 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 necessary. You, we know that you can finish a few percent dehydrated in most cases and, and be totally fine and recover afterwards. We're designed to, and built to be able to function like that. So replacing a a reasonably high percentage of losses helps the body with homeostasis and as long as it's not causing gi distress ought to be more beneficial than taking less so i don't know if i've really i I certainly haven't answered your question fully directly but i think and i think over time we're homing in on it but it's very but it is very individual the question is probably if we take an individual and look at their situation can we try to appreciate what percentage of losses they might need to replace i think we're getting closer to that is there a can you say it's 70 percent of losses or 60 percent of losses or whatever i don't think you'll ever be able to say that because i think it's unique to the individual and the circumstance yeah and and this is pure speculation on my part but but i would think that maybe maybe it's more about uh an an absolute threshold in how much sodium you can lose than a than a relative one as well potentially but that could also be obviously related to the individual rather than that you can give a a number yeah no i'd I'd agree with that entirely i think you're along the right lines i think what we've been theorizing is that there's an absolute level of sodium loss and and fluid loss often they go hand in hand but they are they can be independent variables as well that causes a you know a catastrophic change in homeostasis that the body can't cope with and that's when you start to see those kind of problems be that cramping or breakdown of some sort in in the body and if you if you look at that situation it has to be individual because every body size is different the volume of fluid carried by that body intracellular and extracellular is going to be different so it'll be it'll be related to that body and then it's further confounded by the idea of like how well stocked on sodium and fluid are are you how well hydrated are you before the start of an event because we know that for example we've talked about this you and i've talked about this numerous times before but the, the, the habit of athletes over drinking water before an event in a bid to stave off dehydration can actually have a negative impact on their sodium levels because you end up peeing out so much sodium that you can you can start a race on the back foot from a sodium perspective mildly hyponatremic because you've over consumed water in which case your reservoir of sodium as it were is already depleted before you start so trying to nail all of those things down is lots is lots of moving parts but the theory of what you're talking about there i think is it probably holds true that for most people there will be an absolute level of sodium 
deficit that starts to become problematic and the level of supplementation needs to keep you one step ahead of falling into that catastrophic level of deficit yeah yeah and uh, they would explain why some people probably probably quite a few people can do even maybe up to a half distance triathlon without really thinking about sodium but then because they they don't get past that threshold for them and but then when they get to the full distance it, it's different or for for other people it might be that yeah they can do an olympic distance without considering sodium but when they get to the half distance then uh then then they have to they, they have to replace it and, and replace it quite well so, yeah, and, I, yeah. And, and to and to just just to continue along that line for a minute, because I think it's important. We've obviously there's there's a lot of opinions as we've talked about before in the world about this particular topic. It's quite an emotive topic for some sports scientists and coaches and athletes. And I've, there's there's people that that de- agree with the the line that we take at Precision Fuel and Hydration, and there's people that very vehemently disagree with it. But what I tend to see quite often in the people that really vigorously disagree with it is that they've had experiences either directly through them as athletes themselves or with athletes they've worked with where electrolyte supplementation hasn't been particularly beneficial or useful um and then the extrapolation from that is that therefore it's it doesn't matter for anyone and and i think that's a dangerous place to go because we know for sure if you look at some of the case studies on our website that there are there are cohorts of people for whom aggressive sodium and fluid supplementation during long events is absolutely critical not only to them doing performing optimally but to even finishing at all if if you want to see extreme examples then if you go into our case studies and look at the ones for luke henderson who's a, a top age group He's sort of a nine hour, nine and a bit hour Ironman age grouper in Australia who has exceptionally high sweat and sodium losses. He was advised by one of these famous triathlon coaches who, who's done very well in Kona and who is skirted by on relatively low sodium and fluid intake saying that now you just need to drink to thirst. You just need to drink water, you know, drink to thirst. Don't worry about electrolyte supplementation. And he's ended up in the medical tent numerous times with that advice. He's moved to a strategy with extremely aggressive supplementation and started finishing races regularly and getting PBs. And I think where, where we can be mischaracterized and misrepresented is that therefore becomes the message that we are pushing is that, you need large volumes of fluid and sodium for everything that you do. And that is not the case. It's absolutely about individualization. And there would definitely be athletes and people who can skirt by with very little. And at the far end, there will be people who use loads and everyone else exists somewhere on that continuum between those two. And whilst that's not a really complex concept to get your head around it's one where it just requires a bit of time spent thinking about it to to figure out the nuances of where you sit along that line are you more likely to be someone who needs a lot a moderate amount or a little and once you figure that out you can and that's what the tools and services that we have are are kind of geared at doing is helping you to figure that out and then giving you tools to to make those strategies real yeah yeah that's a good summary. So let's finish off. Uh, first of all, can you uh, just briefly mention and talk about the the new caffeine gel that you have out? And if you have any other uh, projects that you want to mention or uh, races or events that you will be at uh, during this summer, this episode will be released in beginning of July or so, I believe. So yeah, any, any precision fuel and hydration related things that you want to talk about, uh, please feel free. 
Yeah, so the the new caffeine gel that we've released very recently is um got it's it's I don't know what to say other than it's the same as our PF thirty gel. So it has thirty grams of carbohydrate in it, and it also has a hundred milligrams of caffeine. Very very simple. And one of the key things we wanted to do was make sure the product was very clearly labeled you know it's 100 milligrams of caffeine and 30 grams of carbs so as a component of hitting your numbers it's really easy to use and then the other thing was we really needed it to taste good because caffeinated products generally don't taste fantastic and i think we've we've nailed that one in that it's a very very neutral taste and so far they've been road tested at the world championships they've been road tested by a lot of athletes in training now and we're you know, it's probably the the one product that we've been asked about the most in the last twelve months. So we're really stoked to actually finally get it to get it to market. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, I haven't tried it yet. I just got it yesterday, actually, but uh, looking forward to trying it out. And yeah, uh, yeah any other precision fuel and hydration news, uh, events, or similar that you want to talk about? Yeah, we've got so um, we have got now launched um, a. Um, a fueling plan, a fueling and hydration planner for the races. So as, as you well know, Michael, as you've been involved with what we do for a very long time, and we've had the online version of a sweat test to help people, to help guide people into which bucket they land in terms of heavy sweat and sodium loss, moderate, light, or very light. And we've, we've also developed the quick carb calculator, which was an idea of giving people a, a quick reference to how much carbohydrate they might need per hour based on it, the intensity and duration of an activity it's always been the plan to put those two things together to create a more comprehensive race fueling and, and hydration plan and that's what we've got with the with the new fueling planner so increasingly that's being rolled out at the moment that's available online it's um it, it covers triathlon running and cycling at the moment and we plan to add other sports across the, and, and other distances as time goes on and and i think for me i'm very very proud of that product the the team here have put an incredible amount of work into the technical side of it but also into the kind of ip that's that's gone into it because as you know the sports science team here do a lot of one-to-one video calls with athletes pro elite level right through age group and amateur ranks right down to beginners and we've assimilated a lot of knowledge about fueling and hydration plans from that also from the academic studies that we've done and from the sort of case studies we've done with athletes and all of that, we've really tried to sort of put all of that IP into the back end of this fueling planner. And so the idea with it is you can be signing up for a race. You can say, I'm doing Ironman Hawaii. We know the weather conditions, what they're likely to be. You can put in a bit about your performance and your history. If you've got things like sweat test numbers, you can put those in. If you just want to take estimates on those, you can use sliders to give yourself estimates. And the overall output is a a fueling and hydration set of guidelines that then enable you to go off and and play around in the right zone for you with, with how much fluid, sodium, and carbohydrate you might need to take and how to do it in that event and i think that hopefully starts to address a huge gap in the market between people having to read and interpret research and opinion online themselves to to work out their own plan or going the full hog and hiring a full-time you know sports dietitian to do it for them we're trying to give people a tool there so they can get a good way down the process themselves for free online and so far, the uptake on it has been, and the feedback's been really good. But I would love for people to have an opportunity to use that. 
Yeah, um, I tested the the beta version of it, as you know, and uh, I was very impressed by it. Not not just the the output that it gave in terms of the plan itself, the amount of carbs and uh, and hydration and sodium and so on that it recommended, but how it wasn't a black box in the way that I could hover above my recommendation for carbohydrate intake, for example, and it would it would explain to me kind of a bit more about okay why why this carbohydrate intake and the same for the other factors as well which i think is is really really important because uh we're in a day and age where there's a lot of technology and a lot of uh, a lot of things that are kind of black boxes essentially where they will recommend things without explaining the why and uh, I, for me at least that's something that i i don't really like and, and i don't really trust but yeah so that's one aspect that that for me personally was a big uh, positive and a unique uh, unique thing with with your calculator that that I think uh, yeah is worth worth highlighting as well. Yeah, that's no, it's, it's good of you to say because I think that is one of the aims is to make the information as as useful, authentic, and transparent as possible. Because we, ultimately, what we want to do is get people in the right zone for their fueling, and then if they want to jump in and use more of our resource by having one-to-one video calls with us and stuff we've got a solid starting point for them to go from and they've already got a little bit of embedded knowledge from from the reading they've done on 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 the fueling planner so yeah yeah, really really excited to to get to get that out you know more widely okay so so let's do the the rapid fire questions again because it's been a long time uh since uh, you've last done them on this show so things may have changed and uh, the first one is what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sport so this one i would say not necessarily fully related to endurance sport but if you bear with me it is related to the theme of what we've been talking about and it's there's a fantastic free book on um audible if anyone's got an audible um, audiobooks account and it's called caffeine by michael pollan investigative journalist and it delves it, it touches on caffeine in sport very lightly in one place i think but overall it's a fantastic history of like how humans started using caffeine how we found it how it evolved economically what it does to the body it's just a, a great read so different totally different track to what we've been talking about in the highly specific use of caffeine but for general grounding it's it's only two hours long it's free on audible and i i found it really enjoyable yeah no, that's great and uh correct me if i'm wrong but last time i asked you this question you said boys in a boat was was that you or am i misremembering no no no, that was not you. Okay. No, I was going to say that I finally read that book and, and it was great. But uh, yeah. yeah no, no, I, I might look that one up there. What's that one about? Uh, it's about the US Olympic gold winning team from the Olympics in Berlin oh, in 1936 yeah. uh, in rowing. And uh, yeah, they're University of Washington crew. Uh, and apparently they're making a film about it now as well, oh, which cool. um, maybe this this year or next year. Yeah, I've not heard of that one. So I will, I will, yeah. that's a good recommendation for me. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it might be that Paul Newsom recommended it, and yeah, I know yeah. you're a good friend, so that might be why yeah. I why, why I mix it up. Um, what's an important habit that you benefited from, athletically, professionally, or personally? Um, still, probably the best one that I have, which is not uncommon for endurance athletes, is getting up and getting my exercise my exercise session done very very first thing in the morning i don't manage it every single day because um with my wife wanting to exercise and the kids need to be got ready for school and all those kind of things it's it can be tricky but i think i'm pretty proud of the fact that in my mid-40s i'm still able to 
race and compete with some of the guys, the younger guys in our office. And I think that's consistency built on years of getting up early and getting an exercise session done first thing on a morning most days. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Someone who has inspired me recently is someone who he's actually passed away i think relatively recently and i he only inspired me through his book but the founder of the vans shoe company paul van doren has written he wrote a fantastic memoir called authentic which was about how he started that business and grew it and his family life alongside it and all the rest of it and it's an it's an incredible entrepreneurial story and it's a story about a very a, a very determined a very determined guy who who achieved a, a hell of a lot in his life and i would i would highly recommend it so i don't i don't obviously did not know the guy at all um i know clearly like a lot of people will about his business but i found that to be a really inspirational book that i would recommend to anyone particularly if you're of a, an entrepreneurial or self-employed mindset yourself it's a it's a fantastic read really inspiring So, uh, Andy, thank you so much for that. Uh, people already know where they can find you. It's uh, on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Uh, and uh, you have your new uh, social media handles, which are Precision F and H across the board. Uh, so that's also good. And you mentioned uh, free video consultations if people want to have feedback on their uh, hydration and nutrition strategies. So, so yeah, there's plenty of uh, ways to get in touch with you. And uh, your team is absolutely great at answering any any questions that people may might have whether they use your products or not so um yeah again andy thank you it was great to chat to you thank you for uh, all the information that you shared yeah thanks thanks for the invite michael anytime always love always love having a conversation I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Andy. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. Uh, there are plenty of links for this one, including uh, several blog posts on caffeine that uh, you can find on the Precision Fuel and Hydration blog. They're linked to in the show notes. And also, all of Andy's previous appearances uh, are linked there. And uh, finally, uh, the episode that I did with uh, Dr. Ajmal Ali on the science of caffeine. Uh, so that's well worth checking out if you want to get a real deep dive into the science of caffeine and endurance performance and while you're on the website if you're interested in taking your triathlon performance to the next level uh, then check out our training plans or coaching services uh, we would love to help you out so you can always contact us and uh, we can discuss how that can best happen depending on your uh, particular circumstances uh, so check out uh, the options that we have on scientifictriathlon.com and contact us to learn more a big thanks to our sponsors precision fuel and hydration that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and get a specific and effective race strategy and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further use the code tts22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products and thank you to senate use the senate swim trainer to improve your technique power stamina and most importantly your swim training consistency get 20% off your order on the swim trainer with the promo code that you get on senatesimtrainer.com forward slash tts and don't forget that it's a risk-free investment if you don't love it after two weeks send it back and you'll get a full refund thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlons